to me. That's incredible. So good to be here. And, uh, oh, man, I hate it when I drop my Dockers hat. Huh? Huh? Uh, I'll just, I'll just put that, uh, I'll just put that right there. How's that? How's that? Oh, let's pray for next Saturday, next weekend, huh? Fremantle taking on Sydney. That's going to be a big game. I, 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 I live in Sydney and AFL doesn't often rate much of a mention in my town. They're a, they're very much a rugby town, a, a rugby league town. But next Saturday night, when the mighty Fremantle Dockers take on Sydney, we need all of West Australia to be behind the greatest team, the greatest West Australia team. Okay, so I know that some of you have got a gag reflex going right now. But, you know, don't worry, West Coast, your time will come. One day your time will come. It has, it has. I know, it's hard being a has-been. So, uh <laughs> There aren't many, there aren't many churches in Australia that I can actually tease, uh, West Coast fans. So, you know, just, just give me this moment. It's, it's, it's a long, long time ago. It's a long, long time ago. It's a long, there was not even any, any, no dockers were around at that time and those were around were hopeless. So no, after many, many years, right, Roger and Kath, many years, almost two decades of pain, we're getting close. And, uh, and it's, and, and we've just got to get over these wretched Sydney and then we've got to beat some other formidable team. And, uh, you know, finally there'll be a bit of joy football wise in my life and, uh, that'll be good. But anyway, it's great to be back here at Champion Lakes and, uh, amongst friends and got uh, some of my family down here. My sister Sharon, my mum-in-law Mary and, uh, one of our oldest family friends, Kerry, uh, here. So do you want to just, uh, welcome them? And, uh, and of course, so many of you who uh, I know and love really well, and uh, keeping in touch with, uh, keep in touch with quite a few of the the old faces uh, from, you know, Sammy and Jono and Jason, uh, Cam and Jenny Buchanan, who you'd know really well. So um, I, I catch up with them sort of. They're in Melbourne now, but I catch up with them quite, a, oh maybe once a year or twice a year. And Humby, Dave Humby, Dave and Shani, who uh, are in Melbourne as well, I see them several times a year. So uh, we uh, always. Um, get together and we have a great old laugh about the amazing times that we had here at Champion Lakes and uh, you know um, and uh, obviously one of my the major influences in my life uh, being Pastor Mike Keating who obviously couldn't be here today but honestly I just I have nothing but respect and honour for uh, an incredible man of God and Monique as well and so uh, you know it it wars my heart to come here and be able just to, to share with you guys again. Of course, my, my second cousin, Gaz, down there. Gary, other family. Look at my family taking up the whole front row. So uh, very respectful. It's like a funeral here where, uh, you know, you've got to leave the front rows for the uh, for the family members. So uh, thank you very much for, for that. Although we'll turn it into a wedding, shall we, rather than a funeral because you do the same. When I was, I was not a politician at the Sun. Anybody who's reserved judgment right there, I was not a politician of the Sun because if you know anything about the Sun, it's not a great newspaper. I was, I was, a, uh, sorry, not a politician. I was a journalist. Uh, I was at the uh, the West Australian and the Sydney Morning Herald and the Melbourne Age. So just if anyone sort of went, ooh, the Sun, uh, no, that wasn't me. When I was a journalist, uh, I was a political reporter, and we used to uh, every day we'd go to this thing called Question Time. You ever watch Question Time on Channel Two? Uh, why? <laughs> I don't know why you would, but they have this thing called question time. And question time is when basically 
uh, one side of politics, uh, usually the opposition can stand up and do a thing called question without notice, which is where they can stand up and say, oh, I have a question for the Minister of Resources. Uh, why are you such an outrageous ratbag? Uh, how come you're spending so much money? What's happened to you? You know, you're renovating your office. It's cost us $15 million. And, you know, so they ask these questions without notice. And basically it's, it's what it sounds like. They ask questions that they don't have to give notice for. Don't have to let them know they're about to ask a tough question. Well, as, as journalists, we used to have a bit of a nickname for this, which was, uh, depending on who was asked the question, some ministers, you might as well have called it questions without answers. Because politicians became experts at giving answers. They would talk for three or four minutes and it would all be, a, you know, it would be fantastic. But it would be politician speak. And at the end of it, they'd sit down and everyone would just look and go, what did he say? What, what? He just wasted four minutes of question time. And that was actually part of their aim, was to give long, waffling answers so that they soaked up this half an hour of question time. Well, the title of my message today is Questions Without Answers. So if you're taking notes, and I really hope you are, because if you're not, you'll forget most of what I say, and you'll probably just remember one or two funny stories, uh, and you won't get to choose what you remember. So take notes, put them on your phone, put them on your iPad, put them even in a notepad. Notepads still work, apparently. Uh, so the title of my message is Questions Without Answers. You ever had one of those questions that, you know, you, you asked, but you didn't really want an answer? You know, maybe, maybe ladies, the question you asked your husband was, does, does this make me look fat? And, uh, you know, you ask the question, you don't really want the truthful answer, right? Uh, <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> uh, the answer is no, men. The answer is always no. You're beautiful. Uh, there's one of those questions, and you don't necessarily want the answer, but there are questions that we ask in life, and we don't always get the answer. There are questions that we ask of God, and we don't always get an answer immediately or any time. Sometimes you just ask a question and it feels like, you know, the Bible says that the heavens are as brass. And you are, you're firing up a question and you hear nothing. And so you shoot it up again. Maybe God was busy in Syria trying to help. But no answer. You fire one up again and you go to a prayer meeting. You ask the same question and you don't get an answer. There's questions in life without answers. Just before I go on. Can I show you a little picture of my family for those of you who know us from the old? Would that be okay? Because, you know, my kids are sort of growing. There they are. Look at that. So that guy in the middle is me. And uh, then there's Maddie on the left-hand side uh, in green. And then James, my big boy, being cool up the back. So he's 11 now. Maddie's 9 uh, there's our little boy Jed. Well, I don't think most of you probably would have met, but he, met he's uh, he's he's two. And then my beautiful wife Anne. And uh, Anne, if you don't know, she is a internet celebrity, and uh, she has this cooking channel online on YouTube called How to Cook That. She gets about three to four million visitors every thirty days. Go and check out her stuff, and she gets tens of thousands of emails and oh my gosh it's just gone crazy so we always knew Anne was going to do something amazing in her life and we had no idea what a YouTube was sort of several years ago but anyway Anne's used her her technical ability her food science ability and her baking skills to uh to do something quite incredible so uh that's my little family so I just thought I would uh, show you my little one on the left hand side uh Maddie he is my Real inquisitive child. Do you know how you, all your kids' personalities are different? Well, Matthew 
is my real inquisitive one. He just, he fires questions at me nonstop. He'll ask me tough questions. He's always asked me, Dad, if you were a superhero, who would you be? Uh, who, which superhero would you be? I said, well, I'll be Batman. Because of course I'll be Batman. There, there really are no other superheroes apart from Batman. All right? All right. Yeah, okay. So, he, Dad, if you were in a book and you were any character in a book, who would you be? Dad, if you had any superpower, what would it be? Dad, if you had any, if you could get, live in any country, in any place on earth, where, he asks me questions. He loves cooking up these. He sits there. He cooks up a question. He tries to just generate this conversation. He's a really inquisitive guy. He'll probably end up being a journalist or a pastor or an actor or something like that. But um, the other day, I was uh, I was tucking him into bed, and uh, he uh, has. Thanks. You can probably take that photo down. He. Um, he has this little thing where he doesn't want you to go. So as you tuck him into bed, it's sort of, he goes to bed at seven and he reads for about an hour and we come in and we do our devotions together, read the Bible and then we have a little sing, you know, have a little sing, sing the song. He's the king of ling of king of ling lings You know that song that you always used to sing your kids? Anyone? Anyone? He's the Lordy, Lordy, Lord of Lordy, Lordy, Lord. His name is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, he is the king of ling a ling a ling a ling a ling a ling Okay, all you young married couples, you need to learn that one. Okay. So we sing this song. And then Matty has this thing where he doesn't want you to go. It's 8 o'clock. He's yawning. His eyes are drooping. He's, he's ready to go to sleep. But he doesn't want to let you go. Kids are like that, right? And so he will, like, I see in his mind, he's like, Dad, wait. I've got a question. Right. And so this night I sing the song or read the Bible or give him a kiss. And I'm about to leave. I'm at the door. And uh, about to flick off the light. Here. Wait, Dad, I've got a question. I go, okay, okay. One question. He goes, Dad, who invented writing? Oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, I was thinking, oh, it's a good question. You know, I don't know why he's asking at you know five past eight, but okay. Listen, I think probably about six or seven thousand years ago, the Egyptians probably. Wait, see, he didn't want the answer. Another question. Didn't want the answer. Didn't wait for the answer. Dad, what's a wizard for? What's a wizard for? Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, mate. Maybe I, I guess some people kind of get mixed up in the wrong Wait! Why don't they let me throw the ball forwards in rugby? I'm like, that's a great question, son. Well, I guess back in England when they drew up the weight. If I run backwards, can I throw the ball forwards? Which my answer is, I guess so. Click and out I walk. <laughs> See, he didn't really care about the answer. He just wanted dad around, right? And, and, and in life, there are questions without answers. Sometimes Matthew, he just gets me to the point. He's asking me these tough questions, cooking up hard questions. Dad, could you please explain to me from a biblical perspective the difference between old world creation theory and new world gap theory? And, you know, and he's like, um, wow, tough question, son. I don't know if you know if he knows, if he cares about the answer. He just wants to ask me hard questions. And sometimes I've got to admit, I'm a bit like maybe my dad or maybe like your dad used to be with you. Where you just get to that point, you're a little bit frustrated and you go, oh, God knows. God knows that one because I don't know that question. I don't know the answer to that question. And sometimes I reckon in life 
we get to that point, you know, in big questions and real questions, real questions in our life, you know, questions about sickness, questions about what I'm going through, questions about my finances, questions about why, why are my kids not sitting in church next to me this morning? You know, questions like that. Uh, I know the answer to that because my kids are back in Sydney, but maybe, maybe these are big questions, big, real questions for you that you fire them up to God and you say, God, you got any answers for me? And you don't necessarily get back an answer. Or it, it, it doesn't sound like you get, it doesn't feel like you're getting back much of an answer. Come with me, if you would, to John chapter 18. I want to talk to you about a guy who asked Jesus a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> and just while you do that, I want, to, I want you to look at the back of Jason. Because <laughs> I have no idea why, why Akbar is here, but uh, it's, it's, it is awesome to have brothers, brethren from around the world joining us for church this morning. <laughs> You're a funny man. Um, John chapter 18, we, we find this situation where, uh, where Jesus is being asked some hard questions. He's been asked hard questions by a guy by the name that we'll all know by the name of Pilate. And Pilate, of course, was the, the, the Roman leader at the time, was the most powerful man, uh, politically speaking, in the land. And Jesus has been dragged before him. He's been taken before the Pharisees, arrested and taken before the Pharisees, taken before the Jewish council. They want to get rid of Jesus. They want to crucify him. And they can't do it themselves because of their laws. But they can take him to the Romans. So they drag him before Pilate. And they say, Pilate, this man has broken all of our laws. He's causing an uprising. This is going to be on your head. Caesar's going to hear about it. You better do something about this, Pilate. And Pilate's there going, mate. I don't want to do anything about it. this. Is your trouble? This is your religion, not my religion. This is this is your uh, your problem, your issue, not mine. And besides which, my wife had a dream about this guy, and my wife said, "Don't kill him." So here's poor old Pilate. I actually feel a little bit sorry for him because he is standing between all these angry uh, politicians in religious garb, the Pharisees. He's standing with them on one side and he's standing with his wife on the other side. His wife's giving him the look. You know the look, men? That look when you, you click on the TV and you're going for your third football match for the weekend. You know that look? And your wife just gives you the look. And she's like, I think two is enough. <laughs> You've got to play with the kids. Anyone else? Anyone else? No, just me. All right. Okay. So he's getting the look from his wife and his wife's saying to him, don't you touch him. Don't you touch, this is a good man. I had a dream about him. He's done nothing wrong. And of course, men repeat after me. Happy wife, happy life. Okay, so Pilate is caught at this point. And so he's quite frustrated. And then he begins to question Jesus. He's looking for a way out. He's actually looking for a way out for Jesus. He doesn't want to crucify him. So in John chapter 18, verse 33. He's just had a conversation with the Jews. And he comes back in. He says, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This is his first question. There's actually four questions that Pilate asks. And we'll quickly go through them this morning. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't answer him. In fact, Jesus does a Zoolander and he answers him with a question, which is frustrating if you're trying to get to the bottom of an issue. 
And Jesus answers him in red. It says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Pilate gets cross. He says, am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king, said Pilate. Pilate. Uh, Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. That's his second question. He went out, spoke to the Jews again. He says, I find no basis to charge him. But it is your custom to release one prisoner at the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Everyone say Barabbas. Oh, you're an angry mob. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. We don't know a lot about Barabbas. All we know is that he'd taken part of a rebellion. He was known murder. In one of the other Gospels, it gives us a fraction more where it talks about him being a murderer, that he that a rebellion had raised up. He'd been involved in murder. Then they captured him. He was thrown in jail. And uh, here comes his moment a little later on Pilate says in verse 10 of the next chapter he's very frustrated when Pilate heard this he was even more afraid he went back inside the Pilate uh, inside the palace he says where do you come from he asked the Jews uh, Jesus but Jesus gave him no answer everyone say no answer do you refuse to speak to me don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you. We find here, Pilate asks four questions. Four questions that he's asking Jesus. We're going to quickly go through those questions because I think that God is very interested in our answers to the same questions that Pilate asked Jesus. The first question that Pilate asks Jesus is, are you a king? Are you a king? Are you somebody with lordship, somebody that I should give homage to? Are you a king? The question that I believe that God wants to ask all of us here at Champion Lakes today, doesn't matter if you know me from the old days, maybe you were in the youth group back, you know, 15 years ago, and we used to have fantastic times, amazing worship time, and you've grown up and you become leaders and you're standing on stage here or you're helping out the back, you're over in kids, or maybe you're an older person and, you know, you've been faithfully serving. The question that I believe that God wants to ask us this morning is, is he my king? Not is he a Sunday thing is he my monday king not as church something that i do a bit of a good social activity somewhere i go and people are nice and caring the food's cheap out the back and the music's nice and people are warm and friendly but is he my king because there's a big difference between a savior and a king and i believe a lot of christians we stop at him being our savior See, we stop at that point of, well, I've said uh, I'm sorry to Jesus and I've gone to him and I've repented and occasionally read my Bible. But we stop at him. We're satisfied with a savior. Whereas the call of God is make him your king. Because when he's your king, you will bow the knee. Have you ever seen one of those old movies where, you know, maybe there's a, a barroom fight? You know, back in the Middle Ages going on and there's, a, there's swords being flung and there's, there's, you know, all sort of chaos going around. And then suddenly the man with the cloak will peel back the cloak and reveal that he's the king. Has anyone ever seen a movie? It's a pretty common scene in movies, right? And he reveals in that moment the whole bar room or the whole castle 
suddenly falls silent as they realize it's my Lord and my King. And what do they do? They take the knee. My Lord and my King. They put down their swords. They stop fighting amongst themselves because they decide, man, that's the King. And I must bow the knee. I think in our life, we get involved in these tussles. We get involved in fights. We get involved in, in, in fighting for our place, my, my, my emotions, my feelings, my finances, mine, 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 mine. Is he your king? Will you bow the knee? See, when is your king? That, when is your king? That'll get you out of any party where things begin to turn south. When is your king? When you're hovering over the tax refund, over the, over the tax season, do I tell the truth? When is your king? You'll bow the knee. See, when is your king? Uh, it, it'll help you to, it'll loosen your lips when your lips need to be loose. When, when you, you know, the opportunity is there to share your faith. When is your king? You're not that concerned with what will people think because he's my king. My lips will be loose. And when is your king? It will shut your mouth when things need to be shut. When, when there's an opportunity to gossip or criticize, when there's an opportunity to pull down, it'll zip your lip because you've, you've bowed the knee to your king. He's more than just a savior. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about, you know, by works we are saved. By Jesus we are saved. By grace we are saved. By the decision of God to send his son, we have a savior. But it's our choice whether we make him our king. And that's actually not a 1982 decision or a 1999 decision or a 2006 decision or a 2012 decision or a last week decision. That's a today decision. Is he my king? Will I speak up? Will I shut up? Will I give? Will I be generous? Will I look for opportunities to display Christ? Will I look for opportunities to be humble? Will, will I not, will I put others ahead of myself? Is he my king? Now I think that Christianity, Christianity can come in many forms. Have you ever mowed the lawn? Anyone ever mowed the lawn? Yeah. It's good, hey? Who likes mowing the lawn? I love it. You may. You come mow my lawn sometimes. <laughs> it's great. I love it. It's satisfying. You do everything in lines, and at the end, it's done. And you've got that sense of, yes, it's done. Now, I like mowing the lawn. I mowed it this week. At the end of mowing the lawn, sometimes it's a hot day, and you mow the lawn, and you come inside, and you go to the fridge, and you think, I'd really like a drink. And you open the fridge, and inside is a like a half a bottle of Coke. You know that moment you go, yes, fantastic. The kids didn't guts at all. And you're so excited because, look, I don't drink a lot of Coke or that sort of stuff, but you see it in there and you're really past your hot and you go in there, you take the Coke out, and you get the glass out, you drop the the uh, the um, ice blocks in there and you, you get your Coke bottle and you crack the Coke bottle. And, you know, there's either there's a good moment or there's a bad moment at that moment. There's a moment that goes, and your heart lifts and you go, yes. And there's a moment where you crack the Coke bottle and there's, exactly. You go, oh, come on, kids. Who left the Coke bottle half undone? And flat Coke, because, you know, flat Coke is awful. The only thing worse than flat Coke is warm flat Coke. You know what I mean? That, you might as well just be drinking oil. That's horrible stuff, horrible. But 
there's that thing of, you, know, you pour it out, there's no fizz, there's nothing, you're sipping it going, oh, yuck, I'm, I'm going to go to water. And I reckon Christianity can be a bit like that, because I reckon without fizz, without conviction in our Christianity, it's actually got the same sort of DNA, the same genetic makeup. I'm, I'm aware I've got a couple of very smart guys, like Akbar over there, who's a scientist, and Rainer, who's like a nuclear physicist. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into the depth of science because only us three would be able to keep up with it. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, essentially, it's the same stuff. Christianity, without conviction, is essentially the same stuff. It's God, the Father, the Holy Spirit. It's me coming to Jesus and asking for forgiveness and him forgiving and me on my way to heaven. But without conviction, there's no fears. There's no excitement. There's no buzz of being a Christian. If you're not standing up for your faith, if you're not speaking up for your faith, if you're not taking radical decisions of faith, there's no fears in your life. And you're just rolling it out until death. Anybody looking forward to death? Anyone? Keep your hands down. It's not an altar call. Oh, I'm not looking forward to death. I want to live a fizzy life here on earth. Anyone? I want to live an exciting, convicted, passionate life for Jesus while I'm here on earth. So let's make sure we've got conviction. Let's make sure we can answer that question. Is he my king? Yeah. He's my king, and I will bow the knee when necessary. Yes, he's my king. And when I see him revealed, even when I'm having an internal fight myself, even when I feel at conflict myself, he's my king, and I will bow the knee. Because when I bow the knee, that's when blessing comes, fizz comes, conviction comes. Man, that's when Christianity, my faith, gets really, really exciting. The second question that Pilate asked, the first one was, are you a king? The second one is, what is truth? In the Passion of the Christ, they use the Latin. What is veritas? I like that word. What is veritas? Everyone say veritas. What is veritas? What is truth? You know, I, I think one of, the, one of the changing cultures that even since I was here five years ago, even since I was here in, in, in Perth five years ago, I think there's been a real shift in our culture. In fact, the, um, the most recent census showed that the people who are... Um, uh, choosing atheism, saying that in, in when they fill out their census form that they are atheists has risen from 18% to 21% in just a four-year period. Now you might go, oh, that's not too bad, 21%, it's only 3% difference. It's massive. It's massive. It's 3% of our entire population have got to that point where they go, you know what, I used to be ambivalent, I used to be maybe agnostic, I used to just be unsure, but now I'm sure enough to go, I am atheist. That's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And you know why they're making that decision? I actually don't believe it's a well-made decision. I don't think it's a decision that they've researched. I don't think it's a decision they've looked into and read Dawkins and read Hitchens, these books, these prophets of negativity against God. I don't think they've actually done that. I think what they've done is read the headlines of people who have read those books. I used to be in the media. Now, we, what we need to understand is that Dawkins and Hitchens, do you know, are you familiar with those names? Okay, Dawkins and Hitchens. These are hugely paid marketing experts. These are people who are paid literally millions of dollars a year in royalties. So it's a money game for them. And they, out of their millions of dollars, they employ literally dozens of public relations and marketing people 
whole departments of book companies are dedicated to getting headlines in the newspapers. Headlines about, you know, science versus God and science appears to be winning. Headlines about God is dead. Headlines about this. Headlines about that. To getting their stuff in, in newspapers, on the online and on TV and on TV shows. They are there to market their products. They do it without ethic and they do it without moral. So they're not concerned by the fact that 3% of Australia have read the headlines and shifted their opinion because of those headlines. They don't care. All they want to do is market their stuff. And so I think the challenge for us as Christians is this. I think for too long, Pentecostal Christians like myself and like you have gone, you should come to my church. Why should I come to your church? You should come to my church because you'll feel the Holy Spirit. Anybody feel the Holy Spirit here this morning? I did. It's great. It's beautiful. But we have relied on people feeling what we feel in order to get them through the doors. And I think that that there's a real challenge for us as Christians is to go, okay, if there is this world of the bright movement, the, the new atheist movement that have risen up with millions of dollars of marketing behind them in order to undo thousands of years of our faith, then we need to respond not just with feelings, not just with come and feel it. We need to respond with, okay, you've read that from Dawkins. Let me take you to a website by Ravi Zacharias. Let me take you to John Lennox's website. Let me take you to this website. Let me, ta- let me show you the counter-argument to all of the stuff that you've read the headlines about. See, people all over Australia today are asking, what is truth? Thousands and thousands of people, made a, tens of thousands of people who believe in God made a decision not to come to church. Probably thousands of people in Armadale made a decision this morning not to come to this church or any church because they have this puzzle in their mind. What is truth anyway? What is it? Should I commit a morning to come into church? The answer to that is yes, because he's our God and he's my Lord and I bow the knee. Uh, but, but all over Australia, tens upon tens of thousands of people are asking, what is Veritas? What is truth anyway? Who's going to answer them if not us? So I reckon there's a real onus on us to go, okay, I'm not just going to appeal to people with feelings. Now, I'm not saying discard the Holy Spirit or discard the feelings. When I talk to people, I say, oh, my gosh, my testimony is one of brokenness. My testimony is one of agony. My testimony is one of grief. But I know God has changed me. I, you cannot convince me anymore that God does not exist than you can convince me that the blue, the sky isn't blue because I know, I feel it, I sense it, and I know him. I'm convinced, but they're not. And so for us, I really think there's a, there's a challenge for us now to go, right, I'm going to get at least one or two great websites or one or two great books, Gunning for God by John Lennox. Excellent book. I think we need to get this in our armory and say, I feel it. I can pray for it. I can see miracles. I've seen miracles. We've, we've all seen them. You know, legs healed and warts falling off hands and, he, he, you know, people getting their hearing healed. My friend Mick, he prayed for someone and an eyeball popped into, a, into where there was a space in somebody's head. Now, you can't deny that, but other people can because they don't believe it. So it works hand in hand. And there's nothing for us to be afraid of. When we begin this journey of saying, okay, I'm going to get a couple of great websites that I can refer people to. I'm going to get a couple of books in my armory so that when I'm talking to somebody, they're saying, oh, no, I, I think that science has disproved God. You go, my gosh, are you serious? 
Science is just the discovery of God's fingerprints. Science goes beautifully like hand in glove with faith. They're not opposing. The only people who say that science and God are opposing are marketers trying to sell product. So let's, as Christians, get back on that bike and go, right, I'm not just going to retreat and say it's getting a bit scary out there. The new atheist movement seems to have all the headlines. Let's begin as thousands, tens of thousands, millions of Christians rose up and said, I can counter every argument you have. My Bible is philosophically sound. My Bible is historically tested and proven. My word of God, it it matches up to any scientific discovery. It is not. My Bible does not tremble when the latest magazine releases some study talking about millions of years. My Bible does not tremble or look shaky at all. It fits hand in glove with the word of God. So Veritas, what is Veritas? It's a good question, and you need to be able to answer it. Number three question is, why won't you answer me? Don't you know who I am? You ever ask that question to God? I'm going to finish in just a few minutes. Don't you know who I am? You ever ask that question? I know I have. God, you know who I am? Like You seem to be blessing that person over there, that guy down there, and Navar, chef, suit, slick. Seem to be blessed. God, do you know who I am? You ever ask that question? God, you still remember me? Dave, remember me? It's a big question. I think it's a question that all Christians go through at times, you know. Do you know who I am? Do you remember who I am, God? Remember me? You're going to listen to my request as well? No, we don't ask it in an accusing way. We do ask it. I am. Um, I'll show you a little video, and uh, this is a video that I I'm going to set it up for you. This is an advert, and this advert is the ninety is the most powerful ninety seconds of footage ever. Okay, is that a big setup? Like this is my favorite. 90 seconds of footage ever. This is my favorite thing I've ever seen. Okay? Take it away.
unbelievable. Like when I watch that, I've seen it so many times. I just watch it over. If I ever feel down, I just watch that. Because honestly, sometimes we ask this question, God, do you remember me? Do you remember me? Do you remember me? And I watch that and I go, man, there's a bunch of people who had every opportunity to, to look at their bodies, whether by accident, by birth, by, by uh, war, by whatever means, they have found themselves broken, bruised, battered, and sometimes limbless. They have every opportunity to say, woe is me. But instead, they've said, no, that's not me. Me's in here. I'm the one that's going to welcome to meet the superhumans. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that with one leg can run faster than you. I'm the guy with one arm or, or this tall who, who I, can, I can do incredible stuff. I, I watch that and go, man, if they're not making excuses, I'm not making excuses anymore. And see, sometimes we go to God, we have all these, oh, God, I do great things for you. If only, if only I was richer. If only I was this, if only I was taller, if only I was shorter, if only I was this, if only my kids were this, if only I was... We've got all these excuses and all these reasons why we can't do great things for God. And I think sometimes God doesn't answer us. He's just waiting for us to get over ourselves. He's saying, when you get over yourself, then you'll do great things for God. Right, Stixie? Huh? When you, when you get over yourself, about that point is the time I'll answer you. And my answer will be, now go. Now do it. Great. You're past that stuff. You're past yourself. Great. Now speak up. I love it. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. The last question is, shall I give you Jesus or Barabbas? Pilate with trembling, standing on the portico, looking out across this angry crowd. Shall I give you Jesus? This good man. I can't, make, I can't find any fault in him. Or shall I give you the murderer, Barabbas? I talked about right at the start, you know, that sometimes I get to the point with my boy, Matthew, that he's asking so many questions, I just go, oh, God knows. <laughs> You'll have to ask him in heaven, Matthew. And it got me thinking about, well, if God knows, what would God's answers have been to those questions? Like if God is all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipotent, omniscient, all-dancing, what would he have answered to those questions? The first question, are you a king? I think undeniably God would have said, said there in heaven, on the edge of heaven. He would have looked out and said, absolutely is a king. He's the king. He's the king of heaven. Right? No query on that one. What about the second one? What is truth? What is veritas? God would have been there shouting from heaven. Veritas is him. It's true. The words, the words in the word are true. Read it. That's veritas. I'm the way, the truth, the life. That's him. The third one, don't you know who I am? Oh, yeah. I know who you are. I know who you are. I gave my life. I gave Jesus. I gave the best of heaven for you. Oh, I know who you are. I know the real you. You know the real you? The you that you kind of leave when you come to church? He knows that you. He still loves you. And he proved it. The fourth question is a tricky one. Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus or Barabbas? It doesn't say so in my Bible. But there was a conversation going on. Because <laughs> Jesus and Father were connected. 
And in my mind's eye, I can almost see it. I can see Jesus standing there bruised and battered and blood dripping down his back and a crown of thorns and blood pouring down his face, just so beaten almost to being unrecognizable, standing there on the Roman portico next to this uh, brute of a man called Barabbas. And as the cry goes out, Jesus or Barabbas, and Jesus already said, my father could send a legion of angels and they could come to sweep down and wipe this place out and rescue me. And I think that Jesus was having a conversation with God and even at that moment, as Pilate said, Jesus or Barabbas, I think Jesus would have turned to God and said, don't you say it. Don't you say it, Dad. Don't you say my name, Dad. Because for 33 years I came and I lived and I, I experienced pain. And for the last three years I've gone through uh, beatings and, and whippies and it's been tough. But I've done everything that was required to get the job done. And today has been a nightmare. But don't you say it, Dad. And the Bible does say that God the Father turned his head, turned away from his son. And he whispered, Barabbas. I choose Barabbas. I choose Barabbas. I choose Neil. I choose Navar. I choose Pam. I choose Barabbas. Fascinating, you know, the son of God standing there. The word Barabbas, Bar, son, Abbas, the father. Two sons of the father standing there. And the father chose you. Jesus was taken to a cross crucified. And we know the end of the story. He rose from the dead but only because the Father chose you. And so simple message this morning. When you ask that question, what about me, God? Have you forgotten me? Do you remember me? Remember Barabbas. You are Barabbas. You are Barabbas. You are Barabbas. And God chose you. He chose you over his own son. And honestly, that one moment answers every question that we have. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. The Bible says, for while we were still sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still mucking around, while we were still struggling in our stuff, even as believers, even as people who have accepted a savior, but we haven't really made him king. While we were still sinners, which we all are, Jesus came and died for us. 
I'm talking to 30-year Christians right now. I'm talking to 40-year Christians. I'm talking to people who are around in the 70s when revival broke out. I'm talking to people who walked in here today for the first time in a long time or the first time ever. I'm talking to you that this is the moment where, again, we we need to say, Jesus, you are my king. And I thank you for choosing me. And so with every eye closed... I'm going to ask you a simple question. Is he your king? Not is he a Sunday thing. Is he your Monday king? Is he your Tuesday king? Is he your king? And you have bowed the knee and you have said, whatever it takes, I will speak up, I will zip my lip, I will do what it takes, I will give, I'll be generous, and I will serve my king because he's already given it all for me. If this morning you feel challenged about where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe it's just slipped or it's just got a bit religious, it's got a bit dry and dusty, and this morning you're saying, yes, that's me, Pastor Dave, I want to freshen up. I want to get the fizz back in my relationship with God. No messing around. We're about to finish in the next 30 seconds. But if that's you this morning, let me pray for you and let's go out of this place just bubbling again with God's best for our life. If that's you, quickly raise your hand in the air and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thanks, champion. Good on you, legend. Who else? Come on. Join these great people. Thanks, mate. Wonderful people. Thank you, darling. Yes. Come on. That's you. You're saying, I want that bubble back in my life. That's going to take something. It's not just a simple prayer. I'm going to walk out of here determined to bow my knee when it comes to reading my word or when it comes to church attendance or when it comes to, uh, you know, maybe researching and, and, and stop listening to the headlines and negativity and start to research really positive stuff about uh, my faith. And I'm, I'm going to do stuff. I, I'm walking out of here different. If that's you, quickly raise your hand in the air. Join these people. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, everybody, pray this with me. Big, loud voices. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for standing in my place, and thank you for choosing me. Today I choose to go your way with new life and new zeal and new passion and new fizz. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, why don't we give it up for the Lord and for those people who made a great decision. Can I encourage you today, if you put your hand up and there might have been a dozen hands that went up, please don't leave this building. I know sometimes when you the moment's over, you go, that was great and I made a decision, but now I'm not going to speak to anyone. Get past that. We're all family. Is this family here? Just tap the person next to you on the shoulder and say, welcome. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my wife. It's a bit weird there, Rog. It's happening. You know, other side, other side. That's your wife here. Yeah. Um, do something about it. This is your family, and you're here for a purpose. The reason that you're in this church, sometimes you go, I don't know why I go there. Well, the reason you go there is because the person next to you, right? reason is Ravi. That's, you know, the person next to you. That's why you're there. The, per, the, the person, it's not just your wife, but the person across the road. That's why this is a great church. 
That's why this is a church that I feel proud, even many years since I've been here, I feel very proud to be associated with this church. And can I just say as well, I probably should have said this at the start, when I walk in here every time, it looks better. I mean, it, it looks unbelievable. This is an unbelievable building and unbelievable people. And I'm not, I'm just, the church looks better. I'm talking you guys look better. I'm talking every, everybody here, you're getting better looking every time I come. You think I'm making this up. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm coming here and go, wow, you're some good looking people. So well done and keep going because God's hand is on this church. And I really believe that the best is yet to come for Champion Lace Church. Amen? All right. God bless you. Thank you so much. I think the band are going to take us out with a bit of a song and uh, stay around for a cup of tea afterwards.